Today, we're going to talk about what it looks like to forgive ourselves. I don't know if you've ever been sitting upright on your bed and going, I can't go to, I can't go to that service. I can't, not after what I've done. Now, I've thought about that more than I can tell you, more than I'm, I have the courage to tell you. Times where I just thought to myself, there's no way I can continue in Christ after what I've done. Today, we are going to talk about the morning after. Do you know what I mean when I say the morning after? That when you wake up at 11.58 after what you did at 2 o'clock in the morning, how do you respond in the gospel? Because that will tell how you walk in Christ. See, here's what I know about you. I know this about me. I know this about you. Every one of us has sins in their lives that are so profound that they don't want to tell anyone. Stuff that's a secret. Stuff that they feel that they can't tell. Maybe because of your position. You go, well, I'm, I, I, I can't be struggling with this. I can't share this because I'm whatever that is. I'm in this position. I'm in this situation. I'm in this circumstance. Or I don't have any friends. There's a sense where you go, I don't want to confess. And that's fine. My point is, is that it's in all of us and we got to address the guilt and the shame and the sin. Now, I would like, I would like, if at the end of this sermon, none of us sin again, me included. I would like that at the end of this sermon, all of us would realize the beauty and the wonder of Jesus and just go, oh my gosh, sin just looks like a mud pie in comparison to the filet mignon of Jesus. I'd like that. Probably not going to happen. You're probably going to sin. Me too. So the question isn't whether or not we're going to sin. Almost every week we talk about not running to sin and almost every week we talk about repenting and almost every week we talk about running to Jesus. This week we're going to talk about how to run to Jesus after you've blown it, after you've messed up. Now with that in mind, it's kind of a, I kind of have to re-sort of calibrate our thinking about forgiving ourselves. Now, so I have some stuff that I want to tell you, but I want to sort of recalibrate your thinking, okay? And so when it comes to forgiving ourselves, if you're a Christian, I want you to realize that forgiving yourself is, and oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you this, inside your bulletins, there's a, what we call a sermon map. It's so that you could follow along. And so there are places that you can fill out I want you to know, there's a couple of places that you can fill out. Some of the things that I'll say, you don't have a place to fill out. You can just do it in the back or on the side or wherever. Um, whatever God prompts you, just write it down. Why? Because the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. Now, do, do you not, if you don't have a writing utensil, go ahead and raise your hand and someone will bring you like a golf pencil um, and they'll bring it to you. Okay, so we have a couple over here. We have one over here. Um, keep your hand up nice and high. Keep your hand up nice and high. Okay? All right. So here's, 
Here's a couple of truths that I need you to know about forgiving yourself. One is, or A, it, forgiving yourself misses the point of the gospel. Now, here's the thing. I need you to know this, that when we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about a higher authority that has forgiven us. That when it comes to forgiving ourselves, it's, that might be uh, important, but it's not the primary thing. It misses the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is that you have received forgiveness no matter what your opinion is of yourself. And that's a beautiful gift. It's yours already in Christ, if you are in Christ. This is why we say, hey, listen, all of us, and this is important, this is important. If you're here and you're spiritual, but not religious, if you're here and you like the idea of spirituality, but don't necessarily identify yourself as a Christian, I'm so thrilled that you're here. Thank you so much for being here. When I first came around, I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I felt like I was just coming around to just sort of see what Christianity was about. And so if you're here and that's your story, I'm grateful that you're here. But here's what I want you to know. In this sermon, you're going to have an opportunity to see how Christians deal with shame and guilt. I want you to know that that dealing with shame and guilt is not a uniquely Christian thing. It's a human thing. Every one of us, when I say dealing with your shame and guilt, will come up with ideas and thoughts about the things that you're ashamed about. I know I do. I'm reminded of it all the time. So if you're here and you're spiritual, you get to see how Christians deal with it. If you're a Christian, what's good news about this is that you actually get some tools on how to deal with the shame and guilt. Because many of you are living like atheists. That's what I mean about uh, forgiving yourself misses the point of the gospel. The gospel is that you have been forgiven despite your opinion of yourself. That when you come to Christ, what he has done is, here's a $5 word, efficacious. It's effective for you. You go, you don't understand, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. It's okay. Listen, in the sinning game, here's the deal. I win. I'm the biggest sinner in this room. I'm the worst person in this room. And I need to come back to the gospel, come back to the beauty, come back to the wonder of who Jesus is. So when, we talk, when we're talking about forgiving ourselves, we're missing the point of the gospel. Secondly, though, it's also, it's arrogant and not humble. So here's what I mean by that. You know how, and I've heard this several times, I've said this myself. Here, have you ever heard this? Have you ever said this to yourself? I know that God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. I know that God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Think about what you're saying when you say, I know that God forgives me. It sounds humble on the face of it. In reality, it's not humble at all. 
And the reason it's not humble is because what you're saying is the one with the highest authority in your life holds sway over your soul. Here's what I mean. If I'm walking down the street and uh, a homeless person walks by and he says, you look like crap. Say they say that to me. I go, well, that wasn't a very nice thing to say. But I keep on walking because I know I look good. Right? The suit wears well. I know. it. You know why? Because my opinion of how I think about myself is greater than his opinion. Pause for a second. When you and I don't receive the forgiveness of God, but when we think of our own opinion of ourselves, we're treating God like that homeless guy. We're walking by the gospel and we hear Jesus go, you are forgiven. Sister, you are forgiven. Brother, you have had your shame washed away. And you go, hmm. But I know about me. I'm not forgivable. I'm full of shame. You see, we treat God like the homeless guy who walked by saying that thing. You see? See how insane that is? God has greater authority in your life than you do. So forgiving ourselves. So we need to move from forgiving ourselves to something totally different. Totally different. Now, before I do, here's the problem, by the way. When I sent this sermon and I sent it in on on Monday, um, you know, there's a hundred things that have to happen in the background that you guys never even think about. Um, uh, And so I sent my sermon in. So I have more to share with you than the actually points on the board. But I want you to think about this. As we think about forgiving ourselves, as we're transitioning from forgiving ourselves to fighting against shame with gutsy guilt, that's what we're going to move towards. Fighting against shame with gutsy guilt. Now, here's what I need you to, here's what I need you to recognize. Not all guilt is created equal. That won't be up there, but I need you to know that. Not all guilt is created equal. There's some guilt that we have because of the things that we've done that are horrible and terrible. I got a ton of those. But then there's other guilt that we have. Has nothing to do with what we've done. Has everything to do with what was done to us. And there needs to be a freedom a way we fight against that as well. We can't, we're not just fighting against the things, because now if, if we go back far enough in our lives, there are guilty things that we feel about stuff that isn't ours. It just, it just wasn't yours. But something happened to you. You remember, you can't forget in fact. There was something that, that happened to you that destroyed you. And now you walk around with that shame. Maybe because of your response to the thing that happened. Maybe for a thousand other reasons. Here's the point. Not all guilt is created equal. And then, I want you to know that godly guilt brings you to God. Worldly guilt is concerned about consequences. Godly guilt brings you to God. Worldly guilt 
I could say it this way. Godly guilt brings you to God. Worldly guilt leads you to cover up. There's such a thing in the scriptures, in this particular case is 2 Corinthians, there's such a thing as called godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings you to God. It doesn't matter about the consequences. It doesn't matter who finds out. It doesn't matter. Most of my life, the guilt that I've felt has been concerned over being found out. Have you ever been concerned about being found out? And so, we're moving towards godly sorrow, godly guilt. It's an important transition because it's no longer about being found out. It's more about being well in your soul with God. Worldly sorrow looks to cover our reputation, looks to protect our interests. This is not gospel sorrow. This is just like, oh my God. And the, you know what happens, right? You feel guilty. Boy, let me explain to you some of your relapses. So um, for those of you who have struggled with alcoholism or addiction or anything like that, what happens is, and this is fascinating, when we have worldly sorrow, once the pressure's off, like once we stop hearing the sirens, once we stop thinking that everybody knows, once all of that has been alleviated, you know what we do? We go back because the consequences aren't there anymore. It's almost like doing diet. Have you ever um, done a diet and you say, oh my gosh, if I could just get under 200 or if I could just get under 175. Anybody know what happens after you're like the day after you're 199 or 174? Anybody know? You're like, oh, let's celebrate, right? It's like ice cream on me, right? Yeah, 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 of course you do. Because there's, that's what happens when we have worldly sorrow or worldly guilt. We gotta move quickly. So the question then becomes, how do we, how do we fight against this guilt? Well, here's good news. God did not leave us on our own to deal with this subject. God has given us scriptures and he's given us his spirit to produce in our heart the effect that those scriptures um, are meant to produce. Today, we're going to look at a, a prophet. It's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. The reason that they call it the minor prophets is not because what they said was less important than the major prophets. The reason that they call them minor prophets is just because their books are smaller. That's it. It's just the size of the book minor prophet. His name is Micah. Micah goes on the scene and he starts, I mean, it is serious stuff. Micah is like, y'all are behaving badly and he has no hair on his tongue. He's all right telling you what you've done. He is giving it to the people. This is what you've done. But what's interesting about the book of Micah is that it's this cycle. It's this cycle of, of judgment and then hope. Look at what God is going to do. But turn back to God. But if you would only. It's judgment. Hey, this is going to happen. But and then it's also hope. It's also hope. 
And so we are going to find in the book of Micah a moment where he has just told everybody, this is going to be calamitous. There's going to be all sorts of consequences for the sins that you're doing. Because by the way, I hope you know this, sin has consequences. And boy, I don't have to preach that to you. You already got enough experience that you could preach it to everyone here. Isn't that true? We all do. It's not just you. You think that you're alone because you're sitting in your seat and you can only think your thoughts and feel your feelings. But I'm telling you, if you heard everything that everyone in this room has done or deals with the guilt of, you, you might feel better about yourself. And the reason is, it's because we all struggle with this. And the last place we want to pretend that this is not true is in the, is in the body of Christ with the beautiful believers of Jesus. We don't want to do that. So here in the book of Micah, Micah is letting us know. He's making sure that he tells us the truth. Now, this is important that you know, because when we start reading this text, Micah is going to continue that tradition of telling the truth and giving us hope. Telling the truth and giving us hope. Here it is in Micah. It's, and I encourage you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to memorize this uh, set of scripture. I want you to memorize it. I'm in the process of memorizing it myself. I just want to get this in me. I want it to become yours. And then as you memorize it, I want you to move from memorizing it to meditating on it. Then from memorizing and meditating on it to living it. But we need this. Guys, I'm telling you, especially, especially for those of you who grew up with with authority figures telling you you're a piece of garbage. I don't even know why I had you. And you had like shame all over your life even before you ever did anything that you felt shame about. Beloved, we're going to learn how to fight against that. With We're going to learn how to fight shame with gutsy guilt. In fact, that's today's big idea. You should write that down. We're going to learn to fight shame with gutsy guilt. Learn to fight shame with gutsy guilt. Let's do it, guys. It's in Micah chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. Now, tradition in our church is that we stand at the reading of God's word. And the reason that we stand is because we want to be reminded that God, what he says, is more important than what we think. Fair enough? So if you're able to, like if you have the physical ability, if you obviously don't, then stay seated. But if you're physically able, I want you to stand and let me just wash, let this reading just wash over you. But as for me, this is Micah. Micah, after he had just told the people of God how bad their behavior was and the judgment that is coming from God. Micah says, but as for me, because I'm part of that people, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. Okay.
Here we go. All right, we're going to get into it, guys. You ready? Yeah. All right, let's do it. This is so important. Let me tell you why this is important. Because shame will absolutely destroy your life. It'll destroy your relationships. It'll destroy your ability to grow. You won't even be able to mature and grow. You know why? Because when anybody says anything close to the thing that you feel ashamed about, you'll protect yourself instead of asking God, what is he doing to help you grow? You see what I'm saying? So you need this. We all do. Okay, let's get into it. So what do I do after I've sinned? What do I do? How do I develop this ability to fight shame with gutsy guilt? What do I do after I sinned? You see it in verse 7. First, it's wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Do you see it there? But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I, what is it? Wait for God, my Savior. I wait on the Lord. Listen, beloved. This is why, all right, I'm going to help you to become a better friend, okay? It's not helpful when someone has sinned and is a close friend and you try to convince them out of their guilt rather than convince them to walk towards the Lord. Do you see the difference there? It's like, no, it's not that bad. You didn't know any better. It's like, wait, 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 hold, wait, time out. Maybe this isn't so good. Maybe we need to sit in some pain here. Maybe we need to walk ourselves through this. Maybe, and uh, Steve, one of my favorite preachers, his name is Steve Brown, and I remember him saying this. He used to say, sometimes you just got to kiss that demon on the lips. You understand what I mean when I say that? What I mean is sometimes what Satan is saying about you, that's absolutely true. You can't defend yourself against it. Yeah. And, and that's uncomfortable. That's crazy uncomfortable. What you did, watch this, what you did was wrong. Oof. You got no excuse. Oof. And so when we wait on the Lord, it's an opportunity for us not to, and now, and let me just say this, some of us are really, really, really good at punishing ourselves. Like, you're an, you're an expert. You beat yourself up like nobody else. That is not what waiting on the Lord is. Waiting on the Lord is waiting expectantly for the Lord to correct, for the Lord to rebuke, for the Lord to teach, and for the Lord to train, train you up. When we wait upon the Lord, it's like, and you've heard me say this before, waiting upon the Lord is like waiting for an Amazon package. You know how you wait for Amazon packages, right? When you wait for an Amazon package, what do you do? You get your phone out. You go to the, to the thing and you go, uh, uh, it's in one of those four places, right? The order's been placed. It's been shipped. It's on route. It's at your doorstep. And you're going back and you're going, oh, look, the order's been placed. Okay. And then 15 minutes you go, oh, it's still okay. But what are you doing? You're expecting the package to arrive and you're doing it in a way that's wholly excited and trusting that it's on its way. Is that right? Okay. That's how we wait on the Lord. It's like, okay, I don't, I don't sense that the Lord, I mean, I really messed up. It's okay, but God is coming. God is going to do something. God is going to, 
We wait on the Lord. We don't, we don't pile on in our minds and in our hearts. You see? And this is what pylon looks like. Pylon is like a lot like, um, oh my gosh, when are you ever going to learn? How many, ever, how many times are you going to do this? You keep on doing the same stupid thing. Why are you, is there even any point to going to the church service? You know you're just going to go back and relapse and do this. And To wait on the Lord looks differently. Oh God. Look, at, look at what he says. But as for me, watch this. I watch, what's the next two words? In hope. God is not done with me. God is pursuing me. God has not turned his back on me. Because of what Christ has done, God is moving towards me. Yes, but you're so guilty. I know, which is what makes my hope even greater. It's the only thing I have to hope on because God is faithful. He's true. He's more, God is more trustworthy than an Amazon package. He's on his way. I wait. I wait. Not in the self-defeating, not in the criminalizing myself, but in the God show up, man. I, I, I got hope in you. First thing I do is I wait on the Lord. Second thing, you know what? I'm going to change the order of how you see these, okay? I want you to, you see on the, on the side where on your points it says one, two, three, four. All right, leave one, number one. I want you to change number three to number two. Would you do that for me? Yeah, change number three to number two. So I wait on the Lord, and then I want you to sit in grief. Wait on the Lord, then sit in the grief. Sit in the grief. That's the second thing you're going to do. Because as we're waiting on the Lord, we have to recognize that what we're feeling is sorrow. It's real. It's not fake. It's not something that we're producing for ourselves. It's real. There is a sorrow here sitting in the grief. But remember what we said? It's a godly sorrow. A godly sorrow that's sorry for disobeying the Lord, not a worldly sorrow that's afraid for the consequences of our lives. It's a godly sorrow that says, what I did was wrong. And what I did offended the beautiful grace that God has given me. Not a worldly sorrow that says, oh man, if I don't get out of this, it's going to mean jail time. No, 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 no. It's a godly sorrow. It's a grief. Look, sit in grief. Look at 9a. And I love the honesty of our brother Micah. He says, because I have sinned against him. I will bear the Lord's wrath. Okay. It's heavy, right? Okay. So, I want you to, now, if you're in Christ, this is very important. If you are in Christ, I want you to know that you have a Father in heaven that loves you and that love can't be, you can't talk him out of. None of my kids, none of my kids, my kids, Listen, none of my kids can talk me out of my love for them. None of them. And believe me, some of them have tried. 
It's a tough one sometimes. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I mean. But none of them can talk me out of my love for them. They can't. But they can get my disapproval. They can get, like, you know, I have, uh, it's easy with David because he's 10 years old, so those are, those are easier illustrations. But, like, I can come to David, David, you know I love you. But what you did was wrong. And you need to learn that that was wrong. And so that's what it means to sit under the wrath. It means to have the security that God loves you so much that he'll take you right where you're at. But he loves you too much to leave you there. That he loves you so much he'll walk into the mess that you're in. But he loves you too much to say, oh, okay, keep drinking, keep sinning, keep sleeping around, keep, no, I'm under the, this is true. There are some real consequences, some real pain, some real things that have happened here. But it's not a grieving like the kind of worldly grieving we've talked about that's only afraid about the consequences to come, but rather a grieving that says, oh God, you're, this was wrong and I did this against you. I, it's, it's something else. Remember when David in Psalm 51, he says, against you and only you, or you and you only, have I sinned against? And you pause and you say, time out, time out, time out. Uh Uh-uh. That's not true. We know who you've sinned against, right? But what he's saying is that ultimately, my sin is against you. You know this if you've ever seen any of these court um, proceedings where at the end um, the jury has found the person either innocent or guilty. And then, uh, especially if the person did something terrible like rape or murder to a child. And then what happens is the parent gets to come up and tell them what they've done and how horrible it's been uh, for them. The fact is, is that some of the things that we've done horrible and terrible. And yet God sits with us in the grief. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. But and then there's a hopeful thing. Now, I want you to, as you're sitting in your grief, I want you to go to the third, and that's, I want you to speak the truth. Speak the truth. That's number three. So it's wait on the Lord, sit in the grief, speak the truth, and here's where stuff starts to change. Look at verse eight. And I love this. I love this. Some of us, we need to just like practice this. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Let's say that together. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Like you mean it. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. With an attitude. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. That's right. Our our enemy comes around like a prowling lion to gloat over your failures, your misses, your sin, your guilt, and your shame. And you get to stand firm and say, don't gloat over me, my enemy. This ain't over. This is not the final. This might be a word in my life, but this is not the final word in my life. The final word in my life is spoken by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you cannot, 
You cannot outwork that. That is on your life. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. This ain't over. This is not the end here. We have something to look forward to. So as we wait on the Lord, as we sit in the grief, we got to speak the truth. You got to speak the truth. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Let's say that together. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Say it again. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Like you mean, though I have fallen, I will rise. Of course I will, because Jesus is picking me up. Jesus is the one who's taking me from the muck and the mire. Jesus is the one who's getting his hands dirty to get me out of the pit that I've dug myself into, into the promised land where he said he would take me. See, I don't just wait on the Lord. I don't just sit in grief. I speak the truth. And here's the problem, beloved. Beloved, you speak lies to yourself. You speak lies. This is not the truth. Speak the truth. Say the truth. What's the truth? What's the, here's the truth. I, I, I sit in darkness and the Lord's wrath is upon me. But this is not the end of the story. This is not where this ends. This is not. This is not where my life ends. I wait on the Lord. I sit in the grief, but then I speak the truth. There's a better story spoken over your life. We get to go to him and say, and this is why I want you to just memorize this. I want it to be prompts for your ability to be able to fight shame with gutsy guilt. Because the shame, listen to me, when we're fighting shame, it's gutsy because we're bold in the gospel. We believe Jesus more than we believe our emotions. We believe Jesus more than we believe our circumstances. We believe Jesus more than we believe our history and our circumstances and others' opinions of us. It's a gutsy thing. It takes courage to do that. It's a gutsy guilt. But we know this is not like, oh, you know, no big deal. No, 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 big deal. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. That's what it cost Jesus to pay for our sin. I know you're sitting here. You go, but you don't know, Pastor Edwin. The sins that I've committed. Maybe, maybe I introduced my kid to drugs and their, and their life went the wrong way. Like real, 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 real bad. Or maybe I'm a person who had kids and then abandoned my family. Or perhaps I was young and I didn't know and I got scared and I got pregnant and had an abortion and maybe two and maybe three and maybe four. And it feels like murder. No, 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 that wasn't murder. Stop that. Stop that. It's a gutsy guilt. It sees it for what it is but it recognizes that God's grace is greater still. It's greater still. I don't care what the opinions are. I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care what society says. We sit in the truth and we walk towards our Christ. We wait on the Lord. We sit in the grief, but then we speak the truth. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, and here's where we'll end. We wait on the Lord. We sit in the grief. 
We speak the truth. And then finally, we look to the light. You see that? It happens several times in the end of eight and in the end of nine. It says, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And then you see it again at the end of verse nine. He will bring me out into the light. I love that. He will bring me out into the light. You brought you into sin. God will bring you. You brought you to the darkness. God will bring you to the light. You brought you into the mess. God will bring you into salvation. You brought you into the destruction in your life. God will bring you to the salvation and the beauty and the wonder. Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, none of this applies for you. And that's why I want to just take a moment to beg you to come to Christ. That Christians are neither pie in the sky or we're like Debbie Downers. Christians are thoroughly rooted in the truth, but have a greater word that's spoken over their lives. It's a greater word than your opinion, a greater word than your shame. It's a gutsy guilt that we need to fight our shame. We look for the light. And boy, this takes time, doesn't it? It goes back to the waiting on the Lord, right? And so it's like, we don't, it doesn't have, this doesn't happen. Remember what I said in the very beginning when I said, hey, we come together each week because it's a slow grow, right? It's a slow burn. It's, we, we do this together. But listen to me, listen to me. I got stuff in my own life. Some of it months, some of it years, where I'm just like, some of it decades. I'm just like, wow. And I gotta, I gotta let that gospel Gotta let that gospel get in me. Gotta let that gospel get in me. We go, he will bring me into the light. You're not in the light? Cool. Then go, then speak the truth. Sit in the grief. Wait on the Lord. Like if you have to go backwards, you know what I'm saying? It's okay. But he, listen to me, in the end for all of us, he will carry us into the light. Even if we carry guilt and shame for the rest of our lives, there's going to be a day we'll get a new body and the new heavens and the new earth. And there's a, but I just want you to live in that newness now. Now, here's the thing. Ah, we ran out of time. Dag nabbit. Okay, here's the thing. You got to know this. This you have to know. Okay? What you have to know, and this is important, That as we look to the Lord, there are going to be moments where we relapse into old thoughts and old ideas and old behaviors. I want you to listen to me. Listen to me. Hold on to God's word. So here's what it'll look like in your life. Uh, Ron's going to come up real fast, super fast. Um, and what's going to happen, thank you, Ron. Come on up. Come on up. All right. Ron's going to help me with this, okay? Ron. Okay. So Ron is going to be going through his day and he's going through his life and then a thought, a memory, something, something, something is going to come back up in his brain and it's going to remind him, oh, that's right, you're a piece of garbage. That's right, you can never be forgiven. That's right. There's, there's going to be a thought and we need to go back, if not to this text, to other texts that remind us of what Christ has done. Listen to me. When Satan reminds you of your 
past, you remind Satan of his future. You don't ever let that go. You come back to that over and over. And so something will happen in Ron's mind and, and this will be it. Like he'll be walking and he'll say, go ahead. All right. I could never be forgiven. And you have to allow the spirit to say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who has loved me and set me free. See, there are, there are lies that you need to replace with the truth. Or perhaps you're walking down or you're, you're in an argument with their, your spouse and you'll say something like, go ahead. Yeah. And in moments like that, you can say, therefore, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Beloved, don't forget, replace the lie with the truth. It's a gutsy guilt when we fight our shame. Or maybe at a certain point, you'll have another thought. Yeah. It says, the scriptures say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, like as Ron goes on throughout this day, there are two uh, voices that are speaking to him. One speaking a word of death and one speaking a word of life. And you have to be active asking the spirit of God to take this word of life to place into your heart and speak against this word of death so that when any one of those things come over me, you, you might say, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise because I have sinned the Lord, his, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause continually going back. Thank you so much, Ron. All right. You see what I'm saying? So this is a fight. It's a gutsy guilt. It's a fight.